0: Greetings to you again this evening. Come to the last evening of our scheduled meetings, but it's certainly not the last, at least if the Lord tarries, it's not the last meeting that you will probably have here. But I want to say at the beginning of the service tonight that uh, we've been blessed by being here, and uh, we will not forget this week. Been a refreshing time for for myself and bring my wife along and we thank all of you for your kind hospitality in receiving us into your homes and uh, sharing meals with us and it's been a uh, it's been a blessing. So we uh, will go home and uh, think about the week we spend at Lakeland quite often, I'm sure, over the next few years, for sure. Tonight, I think there's a few that might be ready to quote our uh, verses with us here uh, that I encourage you to memorize. And uh, we'll just go right into that. Who will be first? First Peter 2. Verses 9 and 10. Go ahead. very good amen great good job <clears throat> go ahead very good That's good. Have children memorize scripture. Are you adults gonna let the children out, do you? (laughs) You know I'm not trying to run a guilt trip on you and all. (laughs) Anyone else? All right. I don't want to cut anyone off, but uh, I would say let's uh, let's all say it together and uh, keep it in your heart, mind as you go from from this week. First Peter two nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Praise God that we can be a child of his. We can be a child of God. When a uh, evangelist comes to the final night of meetings, there seems to be a struggle. (laughs) And uh, I would encourage you to pray for us as we travel home tonight and, and also through the week, the coming week. You might be here saying, why do we need to do that? Well, I can just share from my own experience how it works after you've shared your heart and you've tried to make the message clear that uh, the devil comes along and says, Ha! Jim, you spent that whole week at Lakeland and you weren't clear at all. And so there's going to be a battle in my mind, in my heart, and I expect what's going to be happening. He'll try to discourage me. And I know that... uh, we can overcome that. But as I approach the final message here this evening, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. I'd like to look at a parable here that Jesus shared that has a uh, has an interesting uh, interpretation, at least I'll try to interpret to you what I believe Jesus was talking about here. Making it clear, and I'd just like to read verses 24 to verse 30. This is the parable of the tares. He says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade Was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No. Nay, lest, while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with him. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." I think what Jesus was talking about here, now we understand as farmers, uh, at least I would understand as not a farmer myself, but this farmer went forth and planted wheat. He sowed wheat in his field. And so he's expecting a good crop of wheat, right? (laughs) What you sow, that's what you reap. And uh, the workers that were helping him noticed that there were tares, which could be, I don't know, thistles, or thorns, uh, weeds. And uh, they wondered if they should go take out those tares while the, while the wheat is very tender and just getting rooted. And he says, no, don't do that. Let them both grow together until maturity, and at time of the harvest, they will remove the weeds, put them in bundles to be burned, and gather the grain into his barn. And I think the interpretation of this parable is pretty clear. In our world today, we have Christians, young Christians, we have old Christians, we have Christians in, of all ages And we also have those who are trying to sidetrack us, we would call them spiritual tares, I guess you could call them, that are growing up next to us as young or middle-aged or older Christians, and they are there to try to entice or put out temptations For those of us who are genuine Christians in our life. And I think what uh, Jesus is saying here is that in life all of the tares in the world cannot be removed. And so we simply live our life until the harvest. Now what is the harvest? Well, the harvest could be looked at today as possibly the return of Christ. And at the time of the return of Christ, at least my understanding is, the next major event is, is recorded for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Jesus said he will descend in a cloud. And those who are dead in Christ will rise up to meet him, and those who are alive will also be caught up together And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That I would understand relating to this parable would be the time when the grain, when the Christians are gathered together into the security of the barn of our Heavenly Father, if that makes any sense. Finally, you know, I've, I've related the salvation story in this way already. That when we experience salvation, when we become born again, when we become a Christian, when we're cleansed by the blood of Christ, we are then freed from the guilt of our sin, past tense. As we live in our life today, and we could go to scripture, I mentioned it I think earlier this week in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation to those who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. And so, in a sense, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, and we have the people of God to help us to live above sin now. Present tense. (coughs) Excuse me. Future is where there's going to become a time when we will be released from the presence of sin and will be with him in glory. I mentioned the fact that Jesus will come and will be be raptured. The church will be lifted out of this earth. And graves will be opened. The dead in Christ will rise and meet him in the air. And from that point on, as believers, we will be free from the presence of sin. No more temptations to deal with. I ask you tonight as a Christian, are you looking forward to that? <laughs> that is something we all should be looking forward to. And so this parable here talks, us—talks, I believe, is, is explained to us that in the meantime, we will face opposition as a Christian. The tears, the spiritual tears will be there. We can't, we can't uh, escape that in life. It's something we need to live with. But when it comes time for the judgment, when it comes time of the harvest, the ungodly will be separated from those who are godly. Maybe I should have said that in reverse. The godly will be separated from the ungodly, but either way you, you interpret the outcome is the same. And so, as we think about the matter of the harvest tonight, the message title for tonight is Salvation is for All Who Respond. You know, I don't know how many of you travel the highways sometimes, but you might see along the, along the highway somewhere three crosses. What does that represent? well I've seen, I've seen quite a few of those already and I drive put on a lot of miles and so I get to see this quite often three crosses but they usually have the center cross a little higher, a little bigger what is that a picture of? well we would possibly say that's a picture of Calvary that's a picture of the the mount outside of Jerusalem, where the Bible calls it the place of the skull, where that's where Jesus died. And you know, that's all good and wonderful. When we see that, our minds immediately go way back. We say, Yes, that's when Jesus died for me. But you know, tonight, friends, there's another truth about those three crosses that you may see along the road and that is this it it uh, symbolizes salvation for sinners but i have to tell you tonight that those crosses will stand there as a memorial for from from time from the time it took place until eternity and it will mean nothing to you until you respond to it is that too hard tonight? We, we talked a little earlier this week about some of, the, uh, some of the other views of salvation where God does it all for you. No, my friends. Yes, God has provided for sinful man. Jesus' death on the cross was a glorious sin offering. And it wasn't just for all of us sitting here tonight, even though it is for all of us. But it's for the whole world, whosoever believes on Him. But again, I remind us, salvation is for those who respond to that, and and uh, without that, the set, those three crosses will stand there as a memorial, and will avail you nothing unless you respond. And so tonight, as we think about this parable as an introduction, I'd like to now go to Luke chapter 16. Again, it's a very familiar passage, but a reminder. <clears throat> and when we think about salvation as for all those who respond, I would like to say this also that there is coming the greatest separation in all of human history. And that separation is what I want to look at here in Luke 16, about the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And you'll notice, I would take, as we read these verses, that great separation I'm talking about. Begin reading in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and now art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to to you cannot, neither can they pass to you that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. <clears throat> Tonight, there are people who would like to say that there is no hell. There's all kinds of fuzzy ideas and rumors and, and may I say false uh, preachers and teachers who would like to eliminate the fact of a literal hell. And I'm not going to necessarily bring all kinds of uh, debate on the issue, but simply to say this. If you have difficulty understanding that there is a literal hell that was created for the devil and his angels. If you have trouble believing in that place you also will have a trouble believing that there is a heaven because you can't have one without the other. That to me is simple maybe just old-fashioned Bible interpretation. And for all those people who want to try to criticize and say that, yes, somehow, the ungodly are going to come to a place where they're going to be annihilated from God and burn up and then it's all over. That is not what this passage to me tonight would explain. Let's notice a few things that are said here in this passage. You know this rich man, it says he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. We could say here that this rich man had everything you would want, anything you could dream of. He had all the money to buy what he wanted or needed or even beyond that, possibly. He fared sumptuously every day. Let's uh, think about the point of death in these two individuals. I'll talk a little bit about Lazarus in a little bit here. But it says in verse 22, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I'd just like to explain to you tonight that that to me is kind of a picture. I don't know if you've ever seen... uh, What is it, the kangaroo that has the pouch? (laughs) I don't know, this may be a crude illustration. But the baby is in the pouch and is safe. Safe from harm. Safe from the world. Safe. This matter of this beggar being carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom portrays to me a transfer from a from a from a beggar's place looking for the crumbs from the rich man's table into the glories of heaven what a transfer tonight think about it the beauty of that transfer is something i can't explain But it's something I'm looking forward to, brothers and sisters. A transfer from a wicked world to be completely free. The arms of the angels that come for those who suffer for Christ. Anyway, that was the death of this beggar. Carried and transferred from his suffering to a place of glory. Then it says the rich man also died and was buried. Well, what's so significant about that? Whenever we have a death, we have a burial, right? <laughs> I mean, we put away the dead. We bury them in the cemetery. But as I spoke about the other evening about the matter of an undertaker being able to tell sometimes after death the 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 last uh the last uh appearances on the face of the person who died this rich man died and was not a christian he was lost without christ he died and he was buried and you know tonight Maybe you've never heard this statement before but I I feel led to share it with you. That if every individual could experience what a lost sinner experiences three or four minutes after he takes his last breath, there would not be one soul lost. Because of the horror that they face. Because this rich man, it says, he lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torments. And you know that the immediate change from a life of ease, having everything he wanted, having millions of dollars in a bank account, and maybe millions more in retirement funds, did nothing for this rich man when he took his last breath and you know tonight friends when we think about what an ungodly person must face when they take their last breath is something I can't even begin to explain to you other than the fact that it is total horror because that's what it says here he cried out You know, in verse 24, it says he cried. Where just prior to his passing, he was laughing and enjoying all the riches of the world, all the pleasures of sin or whatever. He was enjoying it all. But now he's crying. He's crying out. And he's saying to Abraham have mercy on me You know friends tonight when I say my, when I talk about my message title being salvation is for those who respond there is only that uh, there is time given to all of us but that time will come to an end when we take our last breath and we have no clue when that when that will be Just yesterday in our visiting there at the open house with Brother Dale, there was a man that told me of a seventeen year old who was killed in a construction accident. They never expected to attend a funeral before they came to the open house there on Saturday. But I remind us tonight that I don't it doesn't matter so much what your age is tonight is that it matters as whether or not you are prepared for when you take your last breath. It's just like I talked about earlier this week. God breathed into Adam there the breath of life. And you know what? At the snap of a finger, he can take that breath right out of you and you're gone. And that's it. There will be no crying out for mercy After you've taken your last breath, there's no opportunity for salvation after you're gone. And so, tonight, that's the urgency of what I'm trying to come to close these meetings with is that salvation is for only those who respond while there's opportunity. Because when that opportunity is closed, You have no time, and there will be no opportunity for mercy anymore. That is very clear here. Because this rich man says to Abraham, couldn't you just send Lazarus to dip his finger in a little bit of water? I could put my finger in there, but I'd like to take a drink of it shortly. But a a drop of water... To cool my tongue. Because he says. For I am tormented. In this flame. And you know. The sad part of it is here in verse 25. Abraham said to him. Son, remember. And I, I don't like to be overly sensitive tonight, but I think probably one of the worst things was this rich man was told to remember the opportunity he had. Probably one of the worst things that an unbeliever will experience after they're gone is the fact that they had an opportunity and totally refused. I don't know about you tonight, but when I think of opportunities lost, the chills go up and down my spine to think about the fact that when you come to the end of life and you're not saved, you will be reminded of the same thing. Oh, back there, that Sunday night there at Lakeland, I had an opportunity and I said, No, thank you, God, I'm okay. And I refused. Listen tonight, the flames of hell will be bad. And being outside of the presence of Christ and our loving Heavenly Father will be horrible. But to think about the fact that you had an opportunity and you said, no, no thank you God, I can take care of myself. Oh, those memories. Abraham said to the rich man. Remember that thou in thy lifetime thou receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And again, here in verse 26, just helping us to understand, he explains to this rich man, beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Just stop there for a moment. How many of you have ever visited a prison? Prison ministry. Okay, quite a few. My experience of going into a prison was that, and I'm sure yours was probably similar, you had to answer quite a a few questions and go through a metal detector and Leave your license, your identification, maybe with the uh, with the secretary at the entrance, and maybe uh, leave your cell phone and and leave all your valuables or whatever. And then you follow the warden to the first gate, and he has a key and he opens the gate, and you walk through it, and you stand in this little room, and then you hear this steel door bang, just clang with a loud ring. Then he goes to the next gate. He has a key and he opens it. And you walk into the next area. And he does the same thing. Closes that big steel gate. And you hear it clang, shut. I got the feeling very quickly that I am fixed inside the prison. Okay? You're in there, and you are not going to be out unless somebody lets you out. You have the idea here of this great gulf. It's like that prison door. slammed shut, and you're sealed. That to me is a picture of what this rich man was experiencing Abraham said, there's a great gulf fixed. Never to be changed. So that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Tonight, brothers and sisters, as I think about this story, this account of the rich man, I can't help but... explain to you as clear as I possibly can that this great gulf is the, is the chasm between heaven and hell and there's no one will ever cross that chasm. I don't know how else to explain it other than the fact that yeah, this rich man had the opportunity to see where he could have been. You ever had the experience in life where you had an accident or whatever and you look back and say, if only I would have done something different, it wouldn't have happened. I've had a few experiences like that in my life and it, those thoughts just plagued my mind. Why didn't you do this? Or I could have avoided the accident. But guess what? It's already history. It's over. I can't change it. And that is precisely where this rich man found himself. There was no way of changing his experience. And you know what's interesting about it all is this rich man changes his mind kind of quickly about his brother's Who were still living. Isn't it interesting? Verse uh, 27. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. That he may testify unto them. Lest they also come into this place of torment. My word on this verse tonight is. There are people who laugh about the idea of going to hell and they're going to have a great time. This rich young man, this rich, uh, yeah, this rich man said, I don't want anybody else to come here. Please, begging to send somebody back to remind those who are still living, my brothers, my friends, my family. And all I tell you, it grinds on my My mind sometimes when I hear people talk so ridiculous about hell. And how they're going to enjoy it. How far from the truth that is tonight. Because this rich man said. I don't want anybody else to experience what I'm experiencing right now. The horrors of hell. I wrote in my Bible here. That there's no company wanted here. No company wanted here. No friendships. No acquaintances. And nobody that cares about where you're at or where they're at. There's no compassion. There's no love. There's nothing that you ever want to think about anybody else experiencing what you're going through. And so tonight I simply ask you, salvation is for those who respond now. Doesn't our Bible say in Isaiah, call ye upon the Lord while he may be found? There's a time coming when the opportunity for the unsaved to get saved is going to forever be closed. It's not going to be an opportunity anymore. And as I think about that, I don't want to leave here without being clear on that point. And I thank God that there's a better place for us to spend eternity than where this rich man found himself. So this rich man had a concern about no one else coming to this place. And he begged Abraham to send somebody to rise from the dead and to preach to them. And Abraham simply said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the word of God, you know, the unsaved tonight We could probably preach a salvation message like I'm sharing with you now with a total unsaved audience. But if they don't believe and they don't respond to the truth of this Bible, this word of God, they're going to find themselves in the same place. And Abraham reminded this rich man that even if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, if they do not believe what the Bible says about hell and about heaven, even somebody rising from the dead is not going to convince them either. And so I simply ask us tonight, what will it take if you're sitting here tonight and you'd have never made a commitment to Christ, I simply ask you an honest question. What will it take? You know, in the earlier days of the tent meetings in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. They decided after a week to extend them to two weeks. <laughs> I'm not going to stay another week. I'm planning to go home. But you know what? The message of the gospel is still going forward. And in those tent meetings, there were many who came to the Lord, and so they extended it. And I think in one, one time they, they lasted, I think, up to six weeks long. People responded to the Lord. Farmers went home and plowed their tobacco patches under rather than let them grow to maturity and reap the profits of an item that is damaging to the human body. And so tonight... I simply ask you as the close as I bring these meetings to a close do you want to experience what Lazarus experienced when you pass away and have the angels come and carry you into the beauties and the rest of heaven or will you Refuse and find yourself crying out like this rich man. Like I said, the opportunity and the time for opportunity is not up to me. It's not up to your ministry here. It's not up to anybody here tonight. But when that door of opportunity closes it's all over never again to have another opportunity so as we bring this message tonight to a close I simply ask you to seriously think about the salvation that I've been trying to share with you throughout this week. Have you understood, and is it clear to you tonight, that if you've never responded to the call of salvation, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and tonight maybe your heart is pounding, maybe you know the Holy Spirit is speaking, consider the two destinations. Do you want to experience what the rich man experienced, or do you want to experience what Lazarus experienced? Those are the two choices. There's no other choice. I appreciate what Brother Dale shared in, in devotion. There's people that would love that are trying. Oh, they're trying their life's best to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, one foot in in indecision and another foot in whatever. And it's a miserable way of life. And so tonight I simply ask you, do you want to experience true freedom? True freedom in responding and calling out to God to help you repent. At return to following him if you strayed away maybe you're Christian and you strayed away and you know your life is not right I want to give you an opportunity to make it right tonight let's pray our father in heaven we thank you that you have it made very clear in your word that Hell is a place of torment. It's a place of fire, unquenchable fire. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. And it's not a place of peace. You've also made it clear for us as Christians that when we come to the end of life and we know that the Lord Jesus has cleansed our heart and washed our sins away, that we can look forward to the angels carrying us to a place of safety, place of peace, a place of rest. God, I pray that you would speak to any heart that's here this evening is in indecision, maybe wrestling against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and they're not at peace. Maybe their heart is pounding And they're wondering what to do. God, I pray that you would kindly, in a still small voice, remind them to come and to seek salvation in Christ. As we spent the next few minutes in giving an invitation, Lord, have your way with all who are here this evening. We want to give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.